Hello, this is Dina Metzger, and I am speaking with Stan Rushworth, who is the author of Going to Water, The Journal of Beginning Rain, and Sam Woods, American Healing, among other works. Um, It's a great delight and honor for me to speak with you, Stan, because we've had such a kind of wondrous and surprising uh, connection. And, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm grateful for it for for a thousand different reasons, but the last was um, just a few minutes ago where I was looking through uh, Sam Wood's American Healing, you know, just browsing and opening up from here and there. And... um, I was just struck by what a wondrous and uh, unusual book it is. And it feels so much like it um, represents who you are because you tell stories, but every story is preceded by a prayer. Mm-hmm. And I think I could characterize you by, by saying you are uh, a man um and probably because you are an indigenous man, you are a man who truly knows how to pray. Well, it's pretty hard to uh, get through all this without it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what most people have have to do, however. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, a forgotten uh, necessity. Unless, of course, you're praying for prosperity, then uh, it seems like what a lot of folks are doing. So when you pray, how do you pray? What do you pray for? Hmm. It's not prosperity. No. Uh, You you know, that's a hard question to answer because it's different all the time, but I, I suppose if I were... Uh, to characterize it uh, in general, I'd say it's for the tools and for the connection and to remember the connection because the prayer makes the connection when I'm in the middle of being lost or when I'm moving through the world that's so disconnected. Uh, You know, we, we say, she got you... Uh, at every meal, uh, at the end of every prayer, in every lodge, uh, it's a daily word, and it means, uh, with all things, I'm related. And that seems to be what uh, what all the, so many of the ideologies and the isms and the itties of the world right now are taking us away from this realization of that connection. And it may seem cliche, but it's not in the least cliche. No. You know, I just opened to home prayer, and um, it starts out saying, I'm back among those who buoy me, all these birds circling and the wind in the eucalyptus, the frogs singing all around me at night, and unspeakable joy fills me. And then you go on and you say, Today I thank each being that comes my way, holding me in this movement that is home. 
lining the avenues to my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it go and then it goes on, and I'm thinking about um, how this deep deep sense of connection that you have in a profoundly disconnected world um, buoyed me um, in in the last uh, year or two that I that I was writing um, a reign of nightbirds and. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have written it. It couldn't. It would. I had started writing it, but it wouldn't be this book without your presence in my life as a friend and, and a colleague, um, because you carry the indigenous wisdom um, so profoundly. It's in your cells. You 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 live it, and so. In a way, I could check what was coming through me uh, to be sure that it was authentic. And I remember either writing to you or calling you and, and asking you if you would you would read the manuscript. And I I think I said to you, I want to know if it's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and I think in that place where where truth is, is where we met. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we met about, oh, it must be maybe 1992 without meeting. And <laughs> a story, or a poem, really, that someone sent me, and I don't even remember who, but it's something that uh, you wrote, and I'm going to read it to you because... Uh, you might not remember it. I don't remember. Except in spirit. So I'm going to read it to you. Thank you. And it's uh, untold fester. The stories unheard become illness and despair. Stories unspoken undo the mind and the soul. Stories told heal the heart. Stories witnessed create community. Stories heard become wisdom. And in the last days, uh, teaching, uh, where I teach, and teaching critical thinking and teaching uh, Native American literature, the third line, the stories unspoken undo the mind. I really, really have been keying on that lately Mm. because I see how much our critical thinking processes are uh, really undone. We're really undone because they're coming from a place of separation uh, and trying to solve problems that exist simply because we are so separated from what is real, you know. Uh-huh. And we're, we're, we're looking for wisdoms without realizing the etymology of the word wisdom is was dumb, slurred down enough times. And I think if we could, could just, you know, look at what's going on in the world, honestly enough, uh, to realize how dumb it is, <laughs> we would realize that we was dumb and we might gather a little bit of was dumbness or was, was well, how do you say it? Wisdom, that's right. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> 
So I, I think it's a matter of accountability. That's what I'm saying. And that prayer that you just uh, read, or the being home again, as I was sitting out here waiting uh, for you to call, uh, a squirrel came by and maybe mm. 50 feet away in a tree, and uh, I spoke to him, and he came over real close, and then he kind of went up into the tree, and he got a bunch of Spanish moss uh, out of the tree, I mean, a huge amount, half the size of his body, mm. and carried it off to his nest, and it's the first time that he's ever shown me where his nest was, and I just was thinking, how nice, you know? Thank well, you. And and it means, and I mean this literally, that he trusts you. He has yeah. probably watched you and your family for a long time and knows that you are trustworthy. Yeah, yeah. And I, I pick up uh, acorns from oaks around here and I put them on a corner of our deck railing. Uh, mm-hmm. kind of a flat piece of plywood there and I collect those as I'm cleaning the yard and stuff and put them there and he comes at different times and uh, takes them takes them home so yeah we're establishing a relationship right and this I mean this comes out of who you are but it also comes out of your experience and your lineage and I know that when um a rain of nightbirds came through me, which is the only way that I can speak about it. It um, it came through as a force of connection with the natural world and yeah. the uh, grief uh, and tragedy of the disconnection that yeah. most people in our culture uh, feel. And I think this is a place of our of our deep bonding in that um, you know the the value of land and you also know the trauma um, you know you, you you know what's possible and you know what has been violated and it's that double knowing that um, that is so profound in uh, going to water um, Particularly, and um, and I think it's also there in um, uh, in Reign of Nightbirds. Yes, it, it was a challenge um, for me to to write about Native people. I did not feel that I had had the right, but I also had no choice. I couldn't refuse what was coming through, and you were. Um, very kind to to support me, and and very kind to tell me where I was off. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's a beautiful book, Tina, and I I admire your courage and the uh, political divisions that go on in the world today to uh, to write about a culture uh, that is quote, unquote, not yours, and to to write about where uh, we need to we need to come together in terms of how we see the planet and each other, you know. So in a way, your book is 
is really bridging uh, a gap that uh, is, is is being maintained for uh, artificial reasons. You know, there's the politics of uh, separating uh, Native people from themselves in order mm-hmm. to gain resources. And this is all about uh, blood quantum. And, you know, there's even now in this whole kind of cultural appropriation movement, which is... Uh, you know, kind of a horrible thing the way, you know, you have the Washington football team and all these crazy crazy things like that. But at the same time, you know, in, in our community, there are people that are kind of walling themselves off from each other with certain rules. And a lot of this comes down through uh, colonialism, through the colonial imperatives, which are to keep us divided. Uh, and your your book has the courage to to go after that on a really really deep level. Well, so, I had I had to go after it because yeah. I realized after experience and study and and everything that came to me that the deep wisdom and thinking in Indigenous and Native American uh, ways culture is what is going to save us if we're going to be saved. It, it, it's been around it, here for a long time, <laughs> you know, really right. long time, thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> right. And if you believe the early Spanish explorers, you know, I read one primary source where uh, a Spanish soldier looked at California and he said, quote, it's like one vast, well-tended garden. End yeah. quote, and yeah. that because uh, we took care of it, and you know it's not that it's, you know we came in knowing these things, it's that we've been around so long that we're able to look at our mistakes, and have the courage to say, well, you know, we shouldn't do that. You know, right. we need to look at the at the long haul. We need to take care of the kids. We need to think about all the generations uh, that came before and all the generations that are going to come after, not just the me generation, you know. Uh, so, again, it comes back to being able to to tell the stories of our mistakes uh, and try to do it better the next time, you know. Uh, right, and, and, oh, and a lot know, of Native myths or... or or stories, what, whatever's the proper way of um, identifying those stories that are told again and again, they often have figures in them who make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. If we can't look at that, then how are we going to keep reminding ourselves to do the right thing? Right. So, you know, over time these things come down to where, you know, we can look at, at indigenous cultures, not only here, but pretty much worldwide, where people have had a really long tenure in the land and have mm-hmm. figured out how to be there. We can look at that and see that there's there's an incredible amount of uh, wisdom or an, an incredible amount of knowledge of, of how to attempt to... to to do it right, and I, I think it does come with tenure in the land, you know, with time. Yes, yes. With time. 
there's this moment in A Reign of Nightbirds where um, Terence Green, who is a climatologist and an indigenous man, reads the 2007 uh, international uh, panel on climate change, and he finds essentially two sentences on traditional ecological knowledge or traditional environmental knowledge um, in which the uh, scientists cite the knowledge of uh, indigenous people. And this is a critical moment for him because he's gratified that it's there, but it's two sentences and thousands of pages. And he's broken by realizing that there is this wisdom that comes from thousands of years of experience and not a 20-year test. Right. Um, and, 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 that, that, and he sees the anguish of the world because he's, he's a climatologist. He knows what's happening to us now, and he knows where the wisdom is. And how do we connect to that again? Whoever we are, we must connect to it. Well, you know, I write my books, you write your books. <laughs> right. I, that's what your book is doing. It's, it's, it's talking about how to break through, I think anyway, it's, it's talking about how to break through those walls that keep us apart uh, uh, culturally. I mean, the, the colonial imperative is is really, it's hard to describe. For me, it's... It's a self. It's a, It's about self-interest, you know. Mm-hmm. It's about well, I'm better than everybody else. So what I bring needs to happen for everyone. And I think this is really an aberration. I think it's an aberrant psychology. Jack Forbes. Uh, Jack D. Forbes called called it the wetico disease of exploitation, greed, and power. And a wetico is a cannibal. And uh, I think that's what's going on. It's been going on for quite a long time. It's been going on so long that it's even being called human nature, which is one of the biggest lies that right. ever came down the pipe, you know. Right. Human nature is much, 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 much more connected. Human nature is about kindness, loving kindness. A friend of mine is, is in the process of passing on now, just wrote, about loving kindness, uh, you know, being the bottom line for everything. And that, I think, is inherent in the indigenous ways of seeing the planet. It's it's about realizing this is our mother, not in any kind of metaphorical sense, but this is what we're composed of. This is truly our mother. Truly. Truly. Yes. Truly. I mean, to say, you know, the earth is my mother, a lot of people do that, but they see it as a metaphor. There's not an immediate relationship. Right. And that's what needs to be challenged, and your book challenges that. And I'm attempting to challenge it with with my work as well, that it's not about metaphor. And I see this. It's about a literal connection. It's about a literal Emotional, visceral connection, living connection. It it's something to be lived every moment. Yep. Right. Yep. 
and we have to get out from under seeing uh, empire as natural uh, human nature. It's not. It's a possibility. It's a, but it's a choice that people make, and that choice gets passed down uh, like greed gets passed down or like abuse gets passed down in a family. You know, it's something that's not working, but people can't pull back enough as a community individually to say, this is not working, you know, but but that's where we're at right now. We have to, you know, we have to listen to what uh, uh, the elements are telling us, you know, things are not working, and even science is telling us things are not working. Uh, Look at at all the forces that say, oh, no, you know, steady as she goes. They're really about exploitation, you know, and that's just not right. So we have to be willing to confront the immorality, as far as I'm concerned, of of uh, of the of me first, you know. Um, it's just it's just dysfunctional. It's a dysfunctional. Well, the difference between me first or rugged individualism, or pull yourself up by your own bootstraps in Western culture and all my relations, which is essential to Native culture. And it seems to me that that phrase, all my relations, in Lakota, Mitake Oziasen, um, is is the one thing we need to take in that could change everything. You know, if yeah. we wanted to live by by one one phrase, that would be the one. That's and that's the one you yeah. That's the one you said you say that you pray. How did you say it in your language? Chigayu. Mm-hmm. That's uh or Chiricahua Apache language. Uh-huh. And day is is what it is in that language. And can, you, that. Yeah. can you tell us again what it means? It means uh with all things I am related. With all things I am related. Yeah. And you say that again and again and again in the course of a day so that you oh, remember. Yeah. 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 It's the amen at the dinner table, you know. Yes. It's the way to start the day. It's uh, in lodge ceremonies. It's it's said throughout, you know. It's the movement from one part of the ceremony to the next. It's it's beautiful. You know, you write you write about restoration, and really, it's really it's a I think to generate. Uh, restoration uh, every time it's said because it restores uh, a a fundamental knowledge and that is that we are all related. This is is why I keep saying what's going on is an aberration. You know, uh, we think of indigenous reality or indigenous viewpoints as uh, wisdom because it's much more of a natural state. 
And I think what people are afraid of, it seems to me, is the complexity of relationship in that natural state. If you think about it, imperialism or empire and exploitation is a much more simple way to live. If you're afraid of something, you either dominate it or you destroy it. Mm. And an older way, if you're afraid of something, you look at that fear and you see, well, why am I afraid of this? What's going on here? And you come into a deeper relationship with that to the point where, you know, you're not afraid of it anymore. Or if you are, you deal with it uh, in a respectful manner, you know. It's, uh, so, you know what I'm trying to get at here? I, I think that it's a funny thing. You know, people look at, I think, indigenous reality or indigenous wisdom, and they say, well, you know, we can't really go back to that. It's really beautiful, but, and it's a really simple life, but but life isn't simple anymore. And in actuality, the obligations of Shihikayu, the obligations of all my relations, are much more profound and much more widespread than what you see in today's world. Okay? Absolutely. Today's world is, 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 is really a, it's a simplistic way of looking at reality. Well, you it's know, you need to go back to the complexity. It's detached and simplistic, uh, a vibrant interconnection. That's what happens in a reign of nightbirds. Four people come together. There are no villains among those four. There is the tragedy of this world you're describing, this colonial, colonized, you call it, um, you talk about a post-colonial um, stress disorder, but I've also heard you say I'm not sure that this is post-colonial because colonization is still here. So, But these people come together, and the complexity of their relationship is at the core, and they must find the deep ways of being together so they can meet the world in the ways that it needs to be met at this time. Exactly. They can't do it alone. They cannot, and I would argue that their their, their realization of that, uh, realization of the complexity, uh, is coming back into their true nature. Yes, absolutely. It's coming home. It's coming back home. And that's part of what the book is about, how Terence comes home and how Sandra, who can feel the earth, she, she can feel the, the tremors, how she can then stand in that identity uh, as someone who feels it because Terence can recognize it. Yep. And that sensitivity to the earth is not easy. I mean, she can she can feel the earthquake and she can feel the hurricanes and she can feel the tsunami and they overwhelm her, of course. Yeah. But she would rather do rather allow it than um, than be disconnected. She has to. And, and so I think. Right. I think what characterizes our work. 
um, is our willingness to look deep and bear witness and and see what is really what is really happening and to be connected whether it's an easy thing or a difficult thing yeah you said something recently uh, in an interview that i heard uh about uh, allowing yourself to grieve mm. and uh the interviewer asked you if uh how you dealt with that and you said well it's not that it's it's something i'm kind of paraphrasing you but maybe putting words in your mouth but i guess that's okay right absolutely (laughs) and it's it's you said at the same time you 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 accept the joy and Mm -hmm. so the grief and the joy go hand in hand and it it just reminds me that when we try to hold a depth of feeling away because it's too much, whether it's grief or love or grief or joy or fear or confidence, uh, when we hold any particular emotion away, that's part of that kind of, if I could use the word, kind of capitalistic uh, separation or segmentation of, of human experience, right? So when we try to hold one emotion away because it doesn't fit, uh, uh, then we're really holding all emotions away. Absolutely. You know, when I hear people talk about uh, compassion fatigue, for example, which is one of the buzzwords of of this time, yeah. I really don't understand it. Um, I don't think we get tired of the heart opening to someone else. I don't. I think holding it away is what makes us so tired, or trying to limit it, or contain it, or reduce it, um, or make it fit into a 50-minute hour or a 15-minute a, a <laughs> medical uh, appointment. Uh, those false containers. Um, those are exhausting. Exhausting is the, the whole time you were saying this, I was thinking it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it really, it really is exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Because it's disconnected again, you know, to come back to that supposedly simple way of putting it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Being separated is 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 so wearing on a person's spirit or soul or whatever, you know, uh, you want to call it the, a person's being. It's just completely exhausting. And, I and think you'd, it, think we were, you'd think we'd be tired of that by now. <laughs> right. And, you know, I sometimes think that there, that people walk around with a wariness. They're afraid someone's, something's going to come at them. And, and and they're going to be overwhelmed by it. They want to choose what they're going to let in and what they won't let in. Um, yeah. And it, it's like, you know, the current building of walls, right? Yeah. And And for me, having been in Eastern Europe, really at the moment that the walls came down, I remember sitting in... East Germany, and I know you know Germany too. Sitting in East Germany, and in, uh, yeah, sitting in East Germany, and having just read um, 
newspapers which were talking about the walls coming down in Hungary, I think, and we were wondering if the you couldn't ask this publicly if the wall would come down in Germany. It looked like it was about to come down in Poland. And what an incredible time that was in yeah. in Europe with so much hope. And now to watch this um, vicious nonsense about building walls in this country. Um, it, it's terrifying, really. Yes, it is. And stupid. Yep. Uh, well, so we're talking about uh, bringing down bringing down the walls. And, you know, if I think about the beginning of Going to Water, I think that's a book about bringing down the walls. Mm-hmm. Even the walls between enemies. Yep. Or so-called enemies. Yep. I think you're right. You know, what you're saying about walls and compassion and stuff uh, reminds me of, of something that came up for me recently, uh, there was a massacre in, uh, I think, 1865 or so at Sand Creek, Colorado, and uh, it was done by a kind of a quasi-Methodist minister named John Shivington, and uh, Black Kettle and uh, 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 Cheyenne had signed a peace treaty they had a, a American flag uh, uh, blowing from the top of Black Kettle's Lodge, and John Shivington um, came through with a bunch of his militia, and they committed an absolutely horrendous massacre, uh, and there were no hunters or what people call warriors in the village because they were all out trying to get food and so they wiped out hundreds of, uh, well, they wiped out, I don't know, I think over half the village and mm. the sexual depredations and such mm. and the, the were just completely over the top. Uh, and about two, three years ago, the Methodist Church made a formal apology to uh-huh. the uh, children of the Cheyenne uh. And and the Arapaho involved, and I I kept thinking about that, and I thought, you know, that's nice that they did that, but where's the apology to their own children for that action? Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. and I think that's part of the separation or part of the wall that gets continued, even with this kind of okay, well, we're going to have compassion for the Indians, and so we're going to apologize to their children. But there's no awareness of what that act has done over time in the soul, so to speak. And I use that word because they're talking about Methodist kids. They don't realize what this separation does to their own children. They don't realize what the genocide here has done and the silencing of it has done to their own kids on a da- and continues to do on a daily basis. On a daily basis and across the world. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so until until they not only apologize but live 
in the way that stops even the possibility of genocide continuing. I mean, genocide is not a word that was familiar before, but it is yeah. horrifically familiar now. Yeah. I think it was invented in the late 40s, right? The, the word itself. Probably right? with, with the Holocaust. Yeah, with the, the genocide convention. I, the, and, and, you know, the United States continued to do genocidal acts, say, with the boarding schools and sterilizations and things like that, uh, long after their own lawyers defined the very things they were doing as genocidal acts. Right. And our school kids know nothing of this. And so it's no wonder that we keep perpetuating this this separation. And I, it, it just, the the importance of getting into this and getting into the center of this is so huge because I, I read recently that, uh, and it ties in so deeply with, with the reign of nightbirds, uh, because I read recently that um, uh, 93% of the biodiversity left on the planet is on lands stewarded by indigenous people worldwide. Mm-hmm. So if we continue to hold this uh, separate attitude towards indigenous knowledge or indigenous being, uh, we're just going to go right into those lands and do what we have been doing for quite some time as, right. as society and as world societies or as industrial societies. Now, I'm not saying that the industry itself can't be dealt with, but how we do it is the is the question. You know, the American Indian Science and Engineering Society's credo is tradition into technology. Mm. So they're talking about using technology in a way that's responsible to the planet and to people. Um, and and thinking about that all the time not just being taken away by the technology and then right. later saying, oh, my God, look what we've done. Right. So there's right. a kind of ongoing ethical and moral concern. And that has to be there because you're thinking, as you said, seven generations or more ahead and all the way back. The, the future descendants and the ancestors in relationship to keep life going. Right. And that relates to the whole kind of uh, different way of seeing time that I'm trying to get at with, with uh, going to water. You know, that, that as Leslie Silco said, time is an ocean and every moment is touching every other moment. And that's what we have to realize. If if we are caught in this short-term thinking, then we come into these things, oh, well, we see a problem now, but we'll solve that problem uh, down the line. Well, if you see the problem now, that's the time to solve it. <laughs> that's right. Uh, not, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You're already on that bridge if you can see that you're creating something that has a tremendously negative potential. And I think it's important when you see the problem to ask yourself what in your way of thinking and living 
allowed this problem to arise. Mm-hmm. You know, what yeah. is the relationship between our lifestyle and thinking and our assumptions and basic beliefs and the more than problems, the difficulties, the tragedies, the um, the threats to life that we are all involved in. Yeah. Uh, it's not just that we didn't think something through. It's that we don't have integrity with right living. And and I think that's what Native people, Indigenous people, uncolonized people um, can offer us is examples of right living. Yeah, and that's that's really difficult in our communities, too, because we're so uh, uh, caught up in the colonial process, you know, and uh, all the divide-and-conquer techniques that come around funding from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and all these types of things, these are uh, methods that... Uh, the uh, industries and uh, the, the resource extraction people put into play uh, all over the place, and this divides native communities. So, of in a course. sense, one of the I think great values of native literature is that we are writing our stories back to you know we're telling stories back to uh, your piece, Stories Untold Fester, we've not been allowed to tell our stories until relatively recently. And so telling our stories within the colonial reality is really, really important because we're showing in the the Native literature where we've fallen off of the right way because of all these forces that everybody... Everybody, certainly in the United States, throughout the Americas, is dealing with on a major level every day. We're showing how those forces have affected our communities and us as individuals, robbing us of our autonomy as communities, robbing us our, uh, of our autonomy as individuals. And for us and the Native community, having autonomy uh, for an individual is what creates strength for the community, right? Right. It's not like everybody kind of becomes the same and goes along in this mindless drone underneath an overarching ideology. It's about independence of thought feeding whole in the best way possible. And so, also looking at how one has been taken by the dominant culture. So there's right. a moment when um, Terrence Green... Um, looks at uh, the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, the horror of that on on his native lands. And and he says, if anything in my life has led to this kind of action, I must cut it out. So I don't think anyone has escaped uh, colonialism and that mind. And it's our common task uh, to cut it out of us, to step out of it, and to remember, and to tell the stories of our remembering. And for us, it's about going back to our traditions and realizing yes. how deep they are in our DNA and our blood, 
and and I think a lot of the attraction for non-indigenous people towards this is I think there's some kind of realization that you know uh, there's 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 something very natural and very ancient uh, to what has survived through the indigenous people of today that everybody uh, can access and diff- not certainly not you know like like you know uh, well I don't know quite how to put it but one cannot become an Indian if one is not an Indian you know on on the surface and a lot of people try that and and it makes a lot of native people angry right because that's where appropriation is but I think there's something much deeper, an impulse much deeper that should be honored uh, uh, by everyone. And that is coming back again to our true nature, getting out from under this idea of man as a fallen creature. Uh, you know, that's, 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 like a, that's a power trip, you know. That's a, a protection racket, right? Right. Well, uh, I think that... If we can all go back in in truth inside ourselves to what you were talking about earlier, um, the earth, she is our mother, then we have a common mother. Yep. And we can try to let her raise us again. Yep. Um, R-A-I-S-E. Uh, and um and begin again and restore um the earth and, and the quality of of our lives. Thank you, Stan, so much for this conversation. And I wanna say the names of your books again, Going to Water, the Journal of Beginning Rain, and Sam Woods, American Healing, and my book is A Rain of Nightbirds. Many blessings to everyone listening. Bye-bye.